Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Weigh-In Sports Talk. Today is Sunday, January 12th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564 or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino or follow us on Twitter at Weigh-In Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, and welcome, everyone, to a live edition of Weigh-In Sports Talk. Like Michelle said, I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, and it is good to be back to the show. We've been out for a couple of weeks. We have the holidays, some other things going on. New Year's coming up. The workload has been crazy, but one thing that's been crazier is, is what's going on in this sports world. And I'm I'm glad to be here tonight. Tonight we're going to discuss these NFL playoffs that that have been happening all weekend and even last weekend that we didn't get to discuss. We have the AFC-NFC championship pitchers now. I mean, who would have ever guessed Tom Brady, Peyton Manning would be going at each other in the AFC championship game? I did. So I'm glad to see this matchup. And in the NFC, we have the Seattle Seahawks will be hosting San Francisco and, you know, everybody, honestly, these are the four best teams in the NFL from top to bottom. If you look at it, New England and Denver, one and two seed. Seattle's a one seed. San Francisco's, a, I think, a five seed just because they didn't win their division, I believe. But, I mean, what a – hold on, let me see the message Trey says. Trey can't call in right now. We must be having some problems. If, can you hear me in the chat room, Trey? I may have to try to call Trey Patterson, the co-host of this show. Seems like we're having some technical difficulties here tonight, but we're going to try to get through this as soon as we can. Just one moment. So, Trey, if you can tell me if you can hear me, that's the the first step to all this. Please give me, please let me know if you hear us right now. And again, I'm sorry. Just because we've been off a couple of weeks doesn't mean we should have technical difficulties. So we have a lot to talk about tonight, and we're going to waste no time and get to it. But I am going to try to call the co-host, the fine co-host of this show, Trey Patterson, as soon as he he tells me he can hear me. And if you're in the chat room right now and you can hear me, please let me know yes, no. So we're going to call Trey real quick. So please be patient and bear with us, please. All right, let's see if Mr. Patterson gets in here. And Cuervo is in the chat room. Cuervo, if you can hear me, please type in the chat room, yes. And Cuervo is in the chat room. Cuervo. Hello? Trey. Yes, Wendy. Yes, we have Trey Patterson online with us. Cuervo, Cuervo can hear us. Trey, could you hear me while you were in the chat room? 
Uh, buddy, when I call into Blog Talk, it says that there's no show scheduled, and it hangs up on me. Well, it's doing this job, then. That's what I told him to tell you. So uh, glad you're here with us. If if you want to, in a few minutes, if you want to, we can just, you can call back in from your cell, but I hope you don't mind doing it like this for right now. That's fine, buddy. You got me on my cell. Well, it's glad to be back, Trey. We've been gone for almost two weeks, probably, maybe a little bit longer. Have you missed doing the show? I, th- I think we needed this time off to to recharge the batteries and, and, and hit this new year running. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, a little time's off. I mean, this is a popular time for a lot of people in the entertainment industry to take time off, uh, recharge for the new year, even though there's a lot going on in football. Uh, it, it's certainly something that uh, it's nice to take a break and, and come back and, and look at this fresh uh, from all the things we've been discussing prior. Well, I mean, there's so much been happening, Trey. I don't even know where to start, where we left off, but I do know, you know, we're going to discuss the national championship game. You know, you're a big Florida State fan. I'm an Auburn fan. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. But I want to start off, if you don't mind, talking about some of these coaching changes in football. And, I mean, wow, Trey. I mean, Lane Kiffin going to Alabama to be the offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator for Alabama goes to Michigan. I mean, what do you think of Lane Kiffin? Well, you know, I think that he's going to have more success um, as an offensive coordinator with the the crop of talented players that Alabama has versus some of his uh, lack of successes uh, as a head coach where a lot of the the knocks on him was that he couldn't balance the play calling duties, uh, which are quite, you know, quite formative, uh, and the being a head coach and the administration that comes with that. So, I think with with Nick Saban and his going to have a very small role. He's going to be uh, relegated to not doing interviews, not making sort of a entertainment value of himself at times. He's going to just be a play caller. I think he's going to have a lot more success than some folks realize. Well, it just seems to me that that Saban could get anyone he wanted to come join him at Alabama to be the offensive coordinator. But I look at this, a lot of the Bama fans seem like they they didn't like the offensive coordinator trade, but watching the numbers all year, this is probably one of their best statistical years that I've seen. But one thing I've noticed about Alabama is they don't run the football as physically as as they're used to doing. And maybe that's just something that, that he doesn't do. They do a lot of zone blocking instead of just blowing people off the ball. And it, it seemed to me Alabama struggled in the third and short yardage ranges this year. And and maybe that's why. I mean, people said he left Alabama, but, Trey, don't let it fool you. He left because Saban was going to fire him. This has been in the works for a few weeks. And I think, you know, Saban did the right thing and let the guy find another job. But Lane Kiffin to Alabama, Trey, everywhere he's gone, let's, let's look at it. He went to – Southern Cal, and when he was at Southern Cal as an offensive coordinator, he was the co-offensive coordinator, and all he did was hold the, the clipboard for the real offensive coordinator. He went to Oakland, destroyed them. He he went to Tennessee, left them in a cloud of dust, wasn't very successful. Now he's a head coach at Southern Cal and gets fired. I mean, I, I just don't know if Saban's reaching right here, Trey. It seems like to me after that Iron Bowl loss, and after that shellacking in the Sugar Bowl, it just seems like he's making some questionable moves. Is is Saban okay? Does he need to go get his head checked, maybe? 
Well, I mean, here's the thing. Nick Saban, I think, has the opportunity to, to sort of take a guy who is and has been um, a guy who knows the excess knows of play calling and offensive um, a different style than Saban's had at, at Alabama recently. Uh, I think when you look at what Nussmeyer did and, and him bolting to, to Michigan, I think it was mutual carbon. There was a lot of whispers that he was very frustrated being under Saban, not being able to call the game as, as sort of he saw fit, and there was some sort of um, headbutting there. So I think you're right. I think it was the fact that Saban was ready to move on, and so was um, you know Nussmeyer going to, to Michigan. I think Saban wants to open it up a little bit more. I mean, look at the receivers they have. Now, we don't know how he's evaluated the quarterbacks who are behind A.J. McCarron now, Tarvin, and maybe that's part of this. Maybe the guys coming up who Saban thinks is going to be the next starting quarterback uh, lend itself to opening up the offense more. And, and don't forget, Tarvin, that you know there's still a likelihood that Florida State's backup, and Jacob Coker, who has graduated Florida State, who's a will be a junior next year, um, a redshirt junior, there, there's talk that he may bolt forward to state and transfer to Alabama to be their starting quarterback because he won't have to sit out a year because he's graduated college. So, you know, I mean, there's no telling what Saban's got in the works in this regard, Tarvin. Well, you know he's got something in the works. It's Nick Saban. But here's a rumor, and, and you know, we don't like to talk about rumors too much. Just want your thoughts, Ed or Jerron. Uh, the coach that kept it all together, Southern Cal, when Lane Kiffin got fired, is rumored to be coming to Alabama possibly to coach the defense. And Kirby Smart's name's out there for Georgia now that their defensive coordinator bolted for Louisville trade. There's a lot of movement going on. Will Kirby Smart stay at Alabama and be there next year, or will he jump ship and go to Georgia and be the coach in waiting? Because you know Mark Riggs getting close to retirement or being fired, either one. And then, well, I mean, this is just a lot of movement right now around Alabama. Do you think Kirby's going to stay? Well, I mean, I, I think this is a 50-50 coin toss. I, I think Kirby Smart, who has a relationship with Mark Rick in the past, uh, and Rick has a plan, too. If you've watched uh, Twitter, which we've talked about, you know, athletes and coaches, to, you know, posting on Twitter, uh, Rick immediately made a comment on Twitter, which indicated that he had a game plan. So you just don't know what's in the works. I mean, I think Kirby Smart could jump ship to Alabama, from Alabama, Again, you're talking to a guy who, who have an opportunity to, to make more money. I mean, the reason you know, a lot of Georgia fans are happy that Grantham left Georgia, uh, but he took a guaranteed money job. He's actually getting paid more at Louisville uh, to coach defense than he was at Georgia. And what does that say about the Georgia job, Carpenter, when the Louisville defensive coordinator makes more than the Georgia defensive coordinator? It means they're not taking care of their coaches, or they don't they don't like the coach they have. So that that's crazy. But let's go back to Kirby Smart. I mean, this guy wants to be a head coach. I mean, a lateral move to Georgia to be the defensive coordinator, the only reason I could see that, Trey, is if since Saban signed that extension, if he thinks Saban's going to be around another five to seven years, he's really spinning his wheels, and maybe he thinks that Georgia job leads to a head coaching job. That's the only way I see him taking another defensive coordinator position. It seems like he's been in a lot of head coaching discussions, but – has his stock taken a huge hit after the Iron Bowl, uh, after the Texas A&M game this year, and especially after that Oklahoma game? I mean, you're not hearing Kirby, Kirby Smart's name mentioned at all, really. No, I mean, that's the crazy thing, is I kind of thought Kirby Smart would be mentioned for a lot more positions than he has been. And I don't know what that's about, but, I mean, you got to think about, I mean, there there's also a position open at Vanderbilt, and, again, I'm not sure why his name isn't being mentioned if, if he's not ready yet 
or what's going on. But you know, he's you know, there's there is a head coaching position available in the SEC right now. Well, and it is, but Kirby Smart should have jumped ship last year when his stock was at an all-time high. I, mean, I thank God every day Auburn didn't really take him serious with the interview process and hire him because it would have been a disaster, a train wreck, Trey. I would have been cussing Alabama for sure then. But let's talk about somebody that that struck while the iron was hot, and that's Vanderbilt's James Franklin. And there's still some more coaching coaching moves we're going to talk about. But James Franklin to Penn State, Trey, I know you and I see it different on, on James Franklin. When I look at James Franklin taking the Penn State job, everybody's on him like he's a miracle worker, like he's a great coach. But let's let's talk about this 24-15 and 15 record in three seasons at Vanderbilt. He was 2-1 and one in bowl games, Trey, 11-13 and 13 in the SEC, 1-8 against ranked opponents. And this this is not very good if you look at it, Trey. I think he took advantage of some weak, injured teams in the SEC the few years he was here. He got a bowl game, and he got a lot of credibility. But one thing he can do, it looks like, is recruit. So do you think this was a smart move by Penn State hiring Franklin, or do you think they should have maybe gone towards an NFL coach or maybe even Ray Schiano, Ray Schiano at, at Tampa that got fired? Do you think this was a good hire getting Franklin? Well, I, I look at it as good and bad, and let me, tell, let me sort of explain why. The good is is he is a phenomenal recruiter. I mean, you look at the, the category of recruits that Vanderbilt had prior to him coming, and then the category of recruits uh, po- or during his his stay. I mean, the stars definitely went up, Harvin. So I think in that regard, I think Penn State, him being from Pennsylvania with connections there, he's going to have, uh, a really great success sort of battling Urban Meyer uh, with recruits up there in Michigan as well. I think he's going to sort of bring them, at least recruiting-wise, uh, to a different level um, than he, you know than before. Now, the bad of this is, Tarvin, is, you know, he's not out of the woods when it comes to the investigation and this rape allegation. And, you know, I'm not going to make too much of it because I don't know what to make of it. But all I know, Tarvin, is, is you know, an institution like Penn State and with the fact that, um, you know, this institution came under so much scrutiny for lack of control, I mean, that, that's some of the allegations that are going on in the, in the Vanderbilt investigation with coaches getting their, their phones subpoenaed, record, record subpoenaed. So, you know, that, that's the knock on Franklin that I've heard. And, you know, and I heard, you know, people say, well, that's a crazy, you know, non-important thing to say. Well, I'm not so sure when you're talking about an institution who, who lost control recently. Well, you you, you leave Vanderbilt for a, an SEC school. What it tells me, Trey, and maybe I'm being too hard on the guy, but it tells me he realizes there's no way he'll ever, ever, ever win the SEC. And he just took advantage, I think, of, like I said, some injuries in the SEC East and some bad teams in the SEC at times. I mean, he, he beat some of the teams. Like, he beat Tennessee. They're rebuilding. He beat Georgia. They were depleted with injuries. He beat Florida. Big deal. I mean, who has he beaten that was ranked besides one team? I mean, he they've been killed by certain teams. And, and I think going to Penn State now and trying to, to out-recruit Hope, trying to out-recruit Urban Meyer, Trey, I, I just – if you took Vanderbilt right now and you put them in the Big Ten, how different do you think their record would be, honestly? I don't see that much of an improvement 
of what they did in the SEC to what they would do in the Big Ten, I'm still looking at a 7-8 win team at best. And that's just switching conferences. Right. Okay, well, that would be – I mean, with, with Penn State sort of, uh, you know, where they are now coming out of the scandal and coming out of uh, sort of reconstruction, if you will, I mean, I think that they're looking for a coach who can win nine and ten games a year. And I don't think he's gonna have a problem doing that. Well, I'm getting a lot of a lot of static from you, Tarvin. Uh, but uh, I think he's gonna have a a lot of success recruiting in Pennsylvania and in the Northeast. Uh, that's a, a place that he's gonna be able to sort of lock down. I mean, even into West Virginia. So I think he's gonna have some success with that, Tarvin, bringing in more uh, high high powered guys. I mean, you, you heard the recruiting trail. All the recruits are big into him, so. I think that's where his success is going to lie. Now, whether he can develop the three stars, Harvard, I mean, that's, that's a different story that you and I haven't been able to see yet. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see anything impressive with these Vanderbilt teams. And the static's probably, I don't know where it's coming from, but I don't hear it anymore. Do you still hear it? No, no, it's, it's, it's clear. Okay. Okay, good, good, good. So hopefully you can call back in in a few minutes and, and we'll see how it goes when we take a little small break. But, Another big move in the coaching world, Bobby Petrino's back where he came from. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Bobby's back. Yeah, I mean, so, Tom, at least about Louisville, I mean, is this, is this them asking for trouble here and just getting into, you know, honestly, I mean, is this them getting themselves back into the exact same situation they were in before where he's in the bolt the program? I don't think so. I mean, it, it could take a few years, but Louisville's not a bad program anymore. I think he, Charlie Strong takes a lot of the, the credit, it seems like, from Louisville. But let me tell you, Bobby Petrino is the one that built that Louisville program where it needs to be right now. And he's coming back. And, and Louisville got one of the top, I'd say, tell me if I'm wrong, Trey, top ten coaches in America. Bobby Petrino is one of the best coaches. He's not a great recruiter now but the guy can, no. can score points and, and win some games. So how does Louisville go with now losing strong and having Petrino? Are they better with Petrino, or are they going to take a hit because of recruiting? Well, I mean, are they better? I, I can't say that they are. I mean, I think Charlie Strong was a better coach, um, X's and O's wise, when it comes to taking the players and recruiting them and bringing them about in the program. Now, Petrino, I think once you get to – just the guys in the field and being able to, to game change, you know, and, and, and blow with the game, second-half changes is probably better than strong. But, you know, you got to think about who's who's left there for him right now, Tarvin. I mean, they don't have really a quarterback left, and then Bridgewater is gone. Uh, so I just wonder, you know, with, with so, you know, Charlie Strong leaving at a good time, with his, you know, star quarterback leaving, I just kind of wonder, I think they're worse off. I really do. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. I can't really disagree with you, but I think Charlie Strong did exactly what you said. He he realized that that they were losing a lot, and really, is his stock going to ever be as high as it is now? Honestly, I, I just don't see it being that. But but I don't. I think there was a bad hire on Texas's part. We haven't even talked about this. We've been going so long, Trey. But Charlie Strong to Texas. I know there's a booster out there that, that's not very happy with his hire. Are you, are you happy with his hire, and do you think he can be successful in the Big 12? I, I say no. Well, I, 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 I'm going to go against you on this one as well. I, I think Charlie Strong was a good hire, and, you know, I, I know the booster you're referring to. He's the biggest booster. You know, he, he's the billionaire who built everything in Texas. Um, but you just, at some point, you just can't, you know, you can't say – 
um, that the booster knows best. I mean, they're there to support the program, and if they're going to do that, then great. But I think Charlie Strong gives you a coach who can be stable with that program, and he's not going to cause problems. I mean, t- I mean, do you really think Charlie Strong is the kind of guy who's ever going to have an issue at Texas when it comes down to, you know, sanctions and that kind of stuff? I mean, he's just a stable coach. He's a good coach. I mean, he's a guy who can develop quarterbacks and knows how to evaluate quarterbacking talent. And let's be honest, I mean, Mac Brown certainly wasn't that guy. I mean, he, he wanted Manziel to play defensive back. You know, Jameis Winston's father contacted Texas, and he, they, didn't, they, they showed no interest. I mean, you know, Jameis Winston's coach contacted. I mean, there's, there's story after story. I mean, Marcus Mariota's a Texas guy. I mean, there's guys who – I mean, it seems like Mac Brown was letting all this talent leave the state. And I think Charlie Strong's going to bring some of that talent back home, and I think that's going to be the difference for Texas. Well, after watching the first half of the Auburn game, I'm sure Texas was smiling not recruiting Winston, but uh, I'll take a jab at you later, Trey, not right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you, you won the game, okay? That's all that matters. <laughs> but uh, I, I just I think Mac Brown lost, you know, lost touch with, with what kids want these days, what's happening in the high schools, really what, what it takes to motivate these kids. I think Charlie Strong, to me – He's unproven, Trey, and and I know at Florida he was a great defensive coordinator, but I'm not I'm not sold on him being able to handle a gig like Texas. I'm not I'm not sold on a lot of coaches in America being able to handle a gig like Texas. I think this job could be too big for him, and we're gonna find out very fast. I think he's gonna have trouble recruiting Trey with with what's going on in Texas. You have Baylor at the top of their game now, Art Riles. You have Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. I mean, Texas A&M's the third or fourth best. Texas is the third or fourth best team in the state now, and they're not playing in the SEC conference. I think that's going to hurt them, Trey. I don't care how good Charlie Strong is as a recruiter. I just don't see him out recruiting some of these schools. Yeah, I mean, um, and yeah, Jonathan corrected me in the chat room. Marietta's from Hawaii. Uh, I was, maybe I'm thinking about RG3 or somebody else. I can't. I know there isn't a big quarterback who got, who got out of state, but. Um, who was the last Oregon's quarterback? Who was the last quarterback from Oregon? What was his name? Ooh. That's yeah. who you're talking about. That's who you're talking about. Yeah. In Texas. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we'll see. So, I mean, there's a lot of these guys who I think that, you know, it's one of those bird in the hand type of things. And, and there's a lot of Florida State fans who um, was – was all, you know, on the bandwagon of not being a Jimbo Fisher fan, and certainly that's all changed. They just never know with Charlie Strong, you know, and, and, you know, Franklin to Penn State and all these moves that are going on. There's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be some firing testing or fire testing coming up for Charlie Strong, and it's going to happen fast because, let's be honest, I mean, with these coaching changes with Franklin and with Strong, Tarvin, there's not going to be a lot of leash for these guys. Uh, they're going to expect them to see something next year uh, that it looks like they made the right decision. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not big on the Charlie Strong hire, but I am big on the Petrino hire at Louisville. Not big on the Franklin hire. Who else am I missing right now, Trey? Am I missing any big jobs off the top of your head right now? No, I see. No, I think that's that's it. I mean, um, what I guess I don't, I'm not sure. If it's, it's not a coaching move, Tarvin, but I don't know if you wanted to talk about the arrest of Doriel Green Beckham from uh, Missouri. I don't know if you wanted to mention that. Yeah, go ahead. I heard about it, but you probably know more details, so go ahead. 
Well, he was arrested uh, this weekend. Uh, he was one of three players charged with, I think, possession of marijuana. He was back in that back in 2012. They haven't released what this arrest was. There's there's um, speculation that it's a felony drug possession. Uh, his father has come out and made a statement saying that um, that they expect the charge there will be no charges, but he was arrested. Uh, obviously, as we know, we talked about legal stuff before, an arrest doesn't necessarily mean there are going to be charges, but certainly he was arrested, which means there was something going on. Uh, whether or not he was you know, criminally culpable or not, we haven't seen that. But, I mean, this is a big, big move. I mean, uh, you know, this was the number one player coming out of high school a couple of years ago, and he's a true sophomore. Uh, if you watched the Auburn game or watched their bowl game, you saw how talented this kid is. Uh, it would be a big hit if he gets arrested for a felony in Tarvin because most schools have, if you get charged with a felony, you're, you're kicked off the team for good. So uh, it would be a big loss for Missouri if this does go, go poorly for them. No, it would be a huge loss. And, man, this is this is big news out of the SEC. Missouri looking with Matty Mock to come back next year. And if, if he's not being able to play, he still has one more year he can play before he goes to the NFL trade. So that's that's an interesting story. One thing I heard was they found over a pound. Tell me if I'm wrong. A pound of marijuana in his car. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, like I said, the the police described it as a felony level um, drug possession, and a pound of pot would be a felony level in most jurisdictions. So I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's a lot, buddy. I mean, in Colorado you can't even have a pound. But um, so we'll have to see how this shakes down. You know, if he's uh, just a passenger in somebody else's car, you know, this may be nothing. Uh, we'll see. And, but it is it is interesting, Tarvin, because, I mean, Missouri is, with Matty Locke coming back and Doyle Green Beckham, who looks to be a first-round draft pick for sure, um, with trouble in the law and drugs again. So we'll have to see how this plays out. We'll keep, we'll keep everybody updated on that one. Well, Trey, are you ready to talk some college football and then move into the NFL and, and kind of talk about the playoffs? Yeah, let's do that. Let's just jump in, and and I'll, we haven't. I don't think we've been on before the. I think we were on the Sunday night before the New Year's Eve bowls and everything. And I don't want to just revisit every game, but is there any game that that really stood out to you in this that made you go like, "Wow!" Besides those BCS games. Well, I mean. Besides the BCS games, I'll have to walk back in my memory because, I mean, the one that stands out of the national championship game, of course, really was the Alabama game um, and the Clemson game. Those are both BCS games, but uh, those two stood out for sure, Tarvin. Uh, um, I guess non-BCS games, uh, uh, I'll be honest. That's fine. fine. Let's just jump right into it. Alabama, Oklahoma. Now, now, Trey, I heard a lot of Bama fans say that Bama just didn't want to be there after losing to Auburn. Are you buying that this time? Absolutely not, Tarvin. They jumped out early on Oklahoma. I mean, the first quarter, the first you know, first drive for Alabama, they looked like a team that was going to dominate that game. And I think what happened, Tarvin, is they just got um, sort of out-coached in the preparation department because the quarterback for Oklahoma seemed to – I mean, that, that kid had not put up I would guess a third of those numbers probably in any game all season. And he just came out and just <laughs> diced up the Alabama secondary. And I think that came down to, you know, uh, Oklahoma really had a good game plan. Uh, so I think they definitely wanted to be there, Tarvin. Uh, I think they wanted to make a statement with Bob Stoops running his mouth all the time about the SEC. Um, so I don't think that 
uh, any of that would be true, Tarvin. I, I think Alabama wanted to be there. They wanted to make a statement against Bob Stoops. But uh, what's crazy, Tarvin, is Bob Stoops won, has now won or did win every single BCS game, including a BCS national championship game, the Rose, the Sugar, the Orange, uh, you know, the Fiesta, and the BCS championship game. And he's the only coach to do that. So, you know, Bob Stoops has got a little bit of talking that he can do. Yeah, big game Bob, right? I mean, he comes out, and that's what surprised me is, is I don't think it was effort. I think it was preparation by Oklahoma. It looked like to me Oklahoma backed up the words their coach used about the SEC, and Stoop said it was propaganda in the off season. you know, the bottom half of the SEC. And, and you know, I just think Bob Stoops told them, look, I ran my mouth before the season started, now help me back it up. But they didn't even announce the quarterback and, until game time. So I think it was preparation. I think they had this plan to hurry it up, to to speed up the game. They've seen Alabama struggle time and time out, man. Time and time again, Trey, Alabama's weakness is teams that can spread you out and, and go hurry up, no huddle. But the only yards, 429 for Oklahoma, 516 for mm-hmm. Bama, Trey. Rushing yards, 81 for Oklahoma. I'm surprised that, that they threw for 348 and only rushed for 81 and got out of that game. Three fumbles by Bama really killed them, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, and the the amount of, imagine, I guess, imaginary emergencies that go on from Alabama fans after losses is kind of crazy. I heard the most T.J. Yeldon hate going on, and this guy was, He's been a 1,000-yard back for Alabama two years in a row. He's been a fantastic uh, running back. And he has been, you know, the great you know, running back tradition of Alabama when they're winning. And then as soon as they lose, Alabama fans hang it on him and say, you know, this guy's a bum. Why why wasn't, you know, the third string <laughs> back, the guy, you know, the freshman Henry who was back, in, you know, behind Drake, uh, why wasn't he starting? Boy, boy is, you know, the offensive coordinator stupid for not putting him in the game all year long and just yada, yada. Tarvin, I mean, just ridiculous stuff. I mean, Yeldon, they have a great stable of running backs. Henry just adds to that. I mean, Henry had a great game, but Yeldon had a bunch of those games this year. So, I mean, what struck me about the post game was the Alabama fans instantly wanting to throw Yeldon and Drake under the bus when, you know, I mean, those guys have been pretty darn good all year long. Well, what does this say for Alabama? I mean, you know, sometimes it seems when I watched Alabama play, Trey, they had teams beat, you know, in the first quarter. Teams seem to get out of their game plan. They get behind a couple of touchdowns, and they they, they just give up, thinking, okay, Alabama's Alabama. They beat us. What does this do for the for that just Alabama's name when you play Alabama going forward? I, I think it's huge because a two-game losing streak – right before recruiting comes in with these coaching changes and everything. I think, could this be the end of the dynasty of Alabama? I mean, I'm not seeing well, that kind of domination anymore for the next few years. Well, it's all going to depend on what kind of quarterback Alabama play gets or Alabama gets in their, their quarterback play you know, going forward because, I mean, that's that's going to be a big thing. I mean, it, you, you, don't, you lose the stability of Adrian McCarron. You have a lot of the defense, you know, which actually struggled this year, the secondary with, you know, ha-ha, you know, ha-ha, Dixon Dick, is leaving. Some scary just announced that he's leaving today. Uh, you got some guys who are really critical. I mean, yeah, they have four- and five-star guys that may be behind them, Tarvin, but they weren't that deep in the secondary this year when it comes down to, to talent and it comes, you know, that kind of experience. So 
they're going to get less experience next year. And so they do have some weaknesses next year going in they haven't had to worry about in years past, including, you know, their best offensive line guy leaving again early. And, and he he got exposed in the Oklahoma game to a speed rush. So, I mean, there's guys on that team now who have to find new stars. But, I mean, Tarvin, they have some weaknesses they got to fill for sure. Yeah, they do, and, and, and I don't care if the, if Coker, the quarterback from Florida State, comes or not, Trey. And he's never proven it. I mean, he's not a proven commodity. He's not somebody I don't think that's going to come in and take the SEC by storm. He was a backup on his own team this year. He was a backup last year, I believe. I mean, he's not – what I'm saying is it's not like they're getting Winston to transfer and come to Alabama. This guy's still unproven. And until they prove something, I, I think Alabama's taking a hit. I think you'll start seeing it in the next few years. The recruiting, I don't know. It, it's just it's weird. Now, I don't think Alabama overlooked them either. The more I think about it, the more I look at it, I think Saban's going to have to adapt. And I think sometimes you have to do some drastic changes and maybe hiring Kiffin was something. But if you want to see the bubble screen run over and over again, that's why they hired Kiffin. He came in to analyze their offense. And now he's the offensive coordinator, Trey. I don't think many defenses are sitting back scared that Lane Kiffin's coming to Alabama. And and looking at recruiting, think about this. Lane Kiffin there, with his name, his reputation now, do you think that's really going to benefit recruiting, having Lane Kiffin come? Well, I mean, Lane Kiffin from all, you know, has always been able to recruit. I mean, he's one of those guys who can go in and sell you, and sell you anything in your, your home. I mean, that's one of the things that Lane Kiffin has. I mean, imagine if they get at Ogeron, who's also a great recruiter. But, I mean, the problem is you have to also coach these guys. Uh, and so you'd have three great recruiters on that team, and they've continued to stockpile talent. But you still got to coach talent up. And that's been the, that was the problem this year in the secondary. That I felt like they could have been coached a little better um, with some of the stuff going on. So you got to think about that aspect of it as well, Tarvin, not just recruiting. So I think, I think Lane Kiffin's going to recruit just fine. But we'll have to see how he runs the X's and O's and how he develops the talent to have. Well, I think three head coaches on the same team could be a problem. Uh, I think if you <laughs> want the death penalty, if you want the death penalty, just hire that staff together and see what happens. You're, they're going to shut down Alabama in a year, possibly, if those three get together. I'm, I'm not sold on Kiffin, but I'm, I'm surely not sold on Ed Orgeron coming and, and being a coach again. I think he wants to be a head coach. I think he's upset right now that, that he's not. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but Trey, let's let's move on just a little bit. Alabama lost to Oklahoma. So I just have a question. Does that give the, the SEC a black eye? One thing I heard from a bunch of Big 12 anti-SEC people was it showed how weak the SEC was. Do you agree with that statement? Well, I think it shows that there's a cheek in the armor. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, the SEC still went, uh, I think, what, 7-2, seven 7-3 and two, seven and three in, in the bowl games. Uh, pretty darn good record, uh, which is overall. Now, they did struggle against ranked teams. Now, they, they, they cleaned up against non-ranked teams. And almost all those wins were against ranked teams. I think they were 2-2, two and two, uh, I think, against, unranked team, or against ranked teams in the bowl games, if I'm looking at my stats here correctly. Um, but I mean, you, that's the that's the consideration, Tarvin. It, it just shows a chink. It is it just shows that uh, a kink in the armor. Excuse me, kink in the armor. And it just says it, it talks about how um, you know the SEC is, is great, um, but they're they're not certainly not un, you know unbeatable. I and mean, there are there are teams that can go out and beat them if you play well. Uh, but they're still is uh, they're still the number one team overall. Let's be honest, they're the one conference. They're they're the number one conference for all conferences to look at. 
Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think anybody's really a close second to them right now. Even though they're not as as strong as they have been or appear to be, I think they're still good, and I still think they're the best. Well, you know, before the season started, Trey, I know you said I was a Stanford hater and everything. I said they will lose three games this year, and by golly, I was right. Stanford 11-3. and <laughs> They lost to Michigan State 24-20. to And to be honest with you, Trey, I wasn't shocked at this outcome. I mean, Michigan State has gotten better week in and week out. The defense is, is second to none, really. The offense got better as the season went on. And this Stanford team, like I said, just never impressed me this year. I mean, they would lose the teams that were physical, and guess what? Three games they lost, USC, Utah, and Michigan State, all three physical fronts. I mean, is this a blueprint how to beat Stanford now? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think absolutely. And Stanford still needs a better quarterback play. I mean, Kevin Hogan, I still don't think he's he's the answer. I think they need to go out and recruit a better quarterback. Uh, and then I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they're still going to be um, up there as the premier teams to beat. I mean, obviously they have the blueprint to beat Oregon, and that's really all that matters for them is they have to go out and beat Oregon, and then they're really going to go to the championship game because, you know, they're going to be that good. But now with UCLA coming into their own target and USC getting a coaching change, I think the Pac-12 is going to be very interesting next year for sure. But I think Stanford's going to be okay. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, you nailed the, the three losses. Yeah, but I didn't say how they'd lose them, though. I really thought that would be regular season games. But, hey, I, know. I have to take a bunch <laughs> Hey, if you go back to the Alabama, are you surprised – did they finish number seven in the country after the last two losses they had? A lot of teams don't go from just drop six places with two consecutive losses back-to-back like that. Yeah, I mean, that that was a little interesting. I, I, that's about right, Carbon, seven or eight. I mean, they did lose their last two games, but they lost them to um, what ended up being top ten teams. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's generally okay for a team to lose to the top ten. Um, but, you know, losing your last two is certainly um, – not a great, not a great thing to do from recruiting battles. And Tarvin, one of the things I do want to sort of preview, we're talking about recruiting battles, is you and I have a sort of ad nauseum talked about, you know, if you're an Auburn fan, you know, and, and Alabama's playing in the national championship game, do you root for them? Because you know, by golly, I love the SEC. And well, there's there's a there's an interesting recruiting battle going on right now um, that's going to highlight some of that. Uh, why you don't do that or ever you know root for your rival. Uh, it's going on between Florida and Florida State. We'll have to see how it shakes out, but uh, it could show you sort of the why you don't want your 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 basically your arch nemesis, your rival, to win the national championship game is because you know you lose big recruits and that happens. And there's a you know sort of two five stars who may flip to Florida State or one already has and enrolled, and the second one might be coming. And it all really revolves around you know that title game and that that head to head win against your rival. But so. Um, interesting stuff going on in recruiting, Tarvin. I know this isn't the show, but just wanted to mention there's a lot of stuff going on in recruiting right now. Well, I want to talk about strength, you know, conference strength and everything before we go to the next game. You look at the top five. Let's go to the AP and just look. The SEC finished with two, four, and five, and seven. So there's out of the top 17, the SEC have four. Out of the top five, they have three. Trey, that's, that's pretty amazing when you look at a conference. And you have two, four, and five right there as one conference. I, I think that tells you right there. And if you look at the ACC, number one and number seven, Clemson, a great football team this year. Florida State, a great football team. But after that, there's really nobody in the ACC that you would you would speak of. And if you look at the Big Ten, they have Michigan State at three. 
Ohio State's at ten. I don't know how they're at ten, but but you see what you see what I'm saying here. There's really a couple of teams in every conference that are good, but from top to bottom, if you look at the SEC, I think they have what seven ranked teams right now that finish the polls. You have Vanderbilt's ranked twenty fourth, A and M eighteenth, LSU fourteenth, and then you have Bama, Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn. I mean, that's pretty stout, isn't it, Trey? Yeah, I think you, you must have been looking at the coaches' poll for Ohio State because the AP has them at 12. That's the one that you and I usually look at. Uh, so that, that gives your 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 weight a little bit more, or excuse me, your argument a little bit more weight um, to that argument for the, at least the Big Ten. Uh, but you're right, Trevor. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. The SEC is still the overall strongest conference. Um, but, you know, there there is something to be said about their struggles against ranked opponents. Uh, but, you know, it's like, it's like the Ric Flair always says, so, I mean, to be the man, you got to be uh, and that's what, you know, Florida State and Oklahoma did in the BCS. But, you know, that's two games, Sarvin. You know, you got to do it every year to be up there with the SEC. Yeah, you do. And Clemson, we'll talk about them right quick. A big stage for them. I mean, people were, after the loss to to Florida State, people just wrote Clemson off. And then they, they had a game against a rival, South Carolina, who finished number four in both polls. They lost yeah. that one straight. But they bounced back and they beat an Ohio State team that was a one-loss, one-loss team, and they and they beat them. I think that made the ACC look good. But what I think it did really more than anything, it made the Big Ten look very bad. Well, I mean, it, it, it certainly you know made the ACC look better. I mean, you're talking about the ACC. It is a conference that is up and coming. I think they're getting better. I mean, they're still not up to the patch ball, which is number two. I think, you know, Big 12 has an argument at three. The ACC might have an argument at four right now, a pretty strong one. Uh, but they went five and six in bowls, Tarvin. They um, got the most teams in of any conference. They had 11 teams in. That's more than uh, one game more than the SEC did. So I mean, the ACC is starting to sort of um, help itself out by its performance. I mean, it certainly helped itself out by getting two BCS wins this year. I mean, had, the ACC had been atrocious in the BCS games and in, in overall, and if you look at the BCS stats overall, the ACC was pretty poor. So, I mean, this, this helps the, the ACC grow, you know, overall. Louisville coming into the conference next year is going to help them even more. Uh, but, I mean, you're right, Tarvin, this is this is the kind of win that the conference needed, and certainly Clemson did, to keep up with the recruiting against Florida State because and South Carolina, both two opponents are in the top five. So, I mean, Clemson des- desperately needed this win to sort of legitimize what Davos Sweeney is doing. Well, Trey, I have some numbers for you real quick. These are bowl game records during the BCS era, and the SEC was 80-53. and 53. The Pac, That's the only conference with a winning record. The Pac-12, 47-48. and 48. The Big 12, 60-66. and 66. ACC, 54-61. and 61. And the Big 10 finishing last right here at 49-64. and 64. I mean, that's amazing. I didn't know that four of the top conferences – all of them had losing records in bowl games. I would have never guessed that, Trey, if you had asked me that. I would have said at least the Big 12 had a winning record. Yeah, I mean, and I think Notre Dame was 0-40. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it definitely talks about what we've been discussing. And the SEC has, has clearly been the strongest conference through, you know, the last seven, eight years. Uh, but this, this stuff's all cyclical, and that's the kind of thing that you have to realize is, you know, if you look at the decades, Tarvin, we're now in you know, 2013, so we're three years into a new decade. Uh, you know, we're going to see new things than we did last decade. I mean, I think if you, can, I mean, you look at the 80s, and you know, the 80s were dominated by, you know, the SEC was the SEC was not the greatest conference, and certainly 
uh, in the 90s, you know, that started changing a little bit. It took into the 2000s for that to change. So, you know, it takes some time for these conferences to ebb and flow. But, you know, for the Big Ten, Harvard, it looks like they're a long way back. I mean, maybe James Franklin, if he brings back Penn State and they get, you know, maybe three or four legitimate teams, you know, if Michigan State can keep it up, uh, then maybe they can start to bring themselves back up. But it's going to take a while, Harvard. Well, let's let's move on to the, the national championship game, Trey, and, and let's talk about the road these two teams had to travel, really, to get to the national championship games. I don't know anybody that picked these two teams to even play for a national championship. Florida State would have been more likely, but you look at two teams, Trey, with first-year starting quarterbacks. Nick Marshall was a JUCO transfer, never played in the SEC. Jameis Winston was the, the hyped quarterback, really, and he came in, and what he did all year was just amazing. Win the Heisman, ACC championship, and national championship. What Auburn was able to do with a three and nine year last year to come back and play for this. I mean, how amazing was it that Florida State and Auburn, both both teams, not just Auburn, got to play for this national championship? Well, you're right. I mean, both things overcame a tremendous amount. Uh, you know, I'll start with Auburn, Tarvin. I mean, you're talking about a complete coaching shakeup. Gus Malzahn in his first year, you know, bringing in a guy who's a defensive back, you know, kicked off Georgia's team, run into the law. I mean, you just a lot of things had to go right for Auburn to get there. I and mean, the miracle that happened in Georgia, you know, the the crazy kickoff at, with Alabama. I mean, just a lot of things that Auburn was having to sort of Build their way through to sort of get to where they were to play as, as well as they have this year and make themselves the number two team overall in the country. And you know, on the flip side, Tarvin, I mean, Florida State, um, their quarterback was drafted number in, in the first round last year. They lost the most players in the, uh, to the NFL than any team in college football, including LSU and Alabama. They, they had 11 guys go in the draft. Uh, they had a lot of coaching changes in itself. They lost their offensive and defensive coordinator to other schools, and James Coley flips down to Miami, and then, of course, Stoops took the Kentucky job. So they had brand-new offensive and defensive coordinators, a freshman starting at quarterback, a redshirt freshman, you know, and everything they had to go through. They were actually not even favored to win their own, you know, division target in the ACC because Clemson was. So in both these teams, I mean, you got to talk about, you know, not only player maturation, but what the coaches did. It was quite phenomenal for both teams. It was, and losing a lot of the staff. That's two really new coaching staffs together besides Fisher. He's a he's a fixture there. But these are, I mean, it's hard to come in with a new staff and be able to, to be very successful your first year. And let's jump right into this game. I mean, I don't know how surprised you were, Trey, but 21-3 to 3 before you could blink your eye, really, and, and the call of the year, man, Jimbo Fisher calling a fake punt. Did you think the fake punt was going to happen when it did? Because if Auburn would have received that ball back in good field position right before half, I think they had plenty of time easily to score a touchdown and to possibly go up 28-3. to So what were you thinking when it was 21-3 to and y'all were lining up to punt? Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was absolutely over. Um, and, I'm, yeah, I would not be the only person to think that. I mean, Auburn – and what we didn't know at the time was that, that you know, Jimbo Fisher uh, had made a, a large coaching mistake in the first half. He was so caught up in the game and play calling uh, that his own players who were telling him that Damian Craig, the former FSU assistant, was basically fight, you know, watching every single play call and giving it to the defense. I mean, 
You know, and so and then Jimbo Fisher was getting told by his players and he was ignoring it. And, you know, FSU was completely frustrated in offense and Auburn was playing very well um, overall and you know, Fisher had not made uh, the adjustment. And then you know, and that call and then listening to his players seemed to flip the entire game for Florida State. Yeah, I mean it it looked like the two thousand ten Iron Bowl when Auburn went to Alabama and was down twenty four to nothing. That's how fast it happened. Auburn could not. They moved the ball all year. I mean, and all of a sudden they couldn't even get a yard. It just seemed like Alabama was in the huddle with them, and that's what it seemed like. I mean, I'm not going to argue that that Auburn was stealing signals. That's what I'm hearing, and it happens a lot in football. I mean, Jimbo Fisher should blame himself, and I think he did. He blames himself for that because you can't can't let your coach go to another team and think he's not going to steal your signs. Because that's exactly what he's going to do. I would. I mean, that's just a part of the game. But if going into this game, if you would have told me, hey, Brian, uh, Florida State's going to only have 385 yards. They're going to only have 148 rushing yards and 237 passing. I would have said Auburn wins this game by three touchdowns, Trey. That's what I would have told you. But, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Florida State executed in the second half. And when, when their defense made the adjustments, Auburn couldn't make the adjustments, it seemed like. But this was, if you look at it, Trey, it's probably the top two BCS national championships of all time. I mean, it still hurts my heart knowing we lost. But what a game. I mean, have you ever seen a game this competitive? I mean, it had every play. I was sitting on the edge of my seat watching. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, you know, it's kind of funny. The, the the Rose Bowl down for the national championship game with Texas and USC, I think, you know, you can argue that that was better or worse. Um, but in the exact same end zone, Tarvin, is where Vince Young won the national championship for Texas. Uh, you know, that, that, that Winston and, uh, you know, Benjamin won, won the national championship for Florida State, the exact same end zone, the exact same stadium, and those happen to be the two best games. So, I mean, to me, um, you know, so maybe there's something magical with the Rose Bowl, Tarvin, maybe we should keep national championship games there, but... I gotta tell you, it was it was a cardiac a cardiac game. If you're a fan of one of those <laughs> those two schools, I know you felt the same way. I was dying; I could barely watch uh, because I was just didn't know what was going to go on. So, I mean, it's, it was a great game. There's no doubt about it. Um, both those teams played um, phenomenally well. I thought uh, you could argue with a lot of nitpicking things, Tarvin, but I think overall both teams went out there and left it all on the field. They did, and, and I honestly think at the end of the day, if you look at it, Auburn didn't play outplay Florida State, and I honestly don't think Florida State outplayed Auburn. They they made the play at the end of the game. I honestly did not think when Trey Mason scored that touchdown with a minute 19 left, I didn't celebrate clock, and I knew, Trey, that that was a lot of time with a team as explosive as Florida State. And you know what? You have to be able to tackle. And, and when Auburn brings back this entire team almost, and they have another – they have seven, I think, players that redshirted this year on defense that were injured or, or just redshirted. You bring in another big recruiting class. This Auburn and Florida State team both trade. They could be back in that Final Four next year. And, hell, you never know. We could have a, another national championship next year with these two teams in us. Yeah, I mean, talk about guys that are they're, they're losing. Florida State kept some of their big linemen that they really needed to keep. They lost Jernigan, who was one of their stars. Uh, I think he was an AP All-American on the defensive line. Uh, I was not surprised that Devontae Freeman, who uh, he scored a touchdown in the National Championship game, that he left early. 
Uh, I was really surprised that James Wilder left for Florida State. He was the backup running back and the bruiser. I was really shocked that he left. I thought now that Freeman left, if he waited, um, then basically it's him and Williams next year, and I thought that would be a good compliment. He needed, I think he needed more time in college, but then you know, the guy who caught the, the winning touchdown, Kelvin Benjamin, the redshirt sophomore, and probably the youngest guy, maybe in the draft, I don't even know, Carbon Benjamin for a sophomore, but um, he, he's going pro too. But those are positions that Florida State is not weak at uh, in depth-wise. So they kept some of their offensive linemen they really needed to. So, yeah, it's a possibility, Carbon. Both, both teams come back in a better position than they were last year. Well, Cuervo is with us. Welcome to the show, Cuervo. Tell us what you thought about this national championship game. You're not an Auburn fan. You're not a Florida State fan. I know you were pulling for the SEC, but where does this rank up on the all-time national championship games? Uh, Well, first of all, good evening, guys. Um, I would have to say I put it in the top three. I mean, you, you you can't have... Texas and USC off of your list. They have to be in there somewhere, okay? And then, I mean, even though a lot of people will remember uh, Miami and Ohio State for different reasons, it was still a game that, it was still a national championship game that went to double overtime and had a lot of dramatic moments. So I would have to say it's either number two or number three for me, uh, right behind Texas, USC. Well, I have a question to ask you. Do you think – who do you think should have won that game? Do you think it was right, Florida State winning it, or do you think Auburn outplayed Florida State and should have won the game? I just really have no answer for that. Well, I mean, that's a, I think that's a you know tough thing to answer, Tarvin. I mean, it's not – I mean, the, you know, the team that won the game should have, you know, deserved to win. I mean, Auburn had their opportunity, like, you know, like you guys were talking about. Yeah. They were up 21 to 3 and once they got hit in the mouth with that fake punt, you know, Gus Malzahn should have found a way to keep his team composed and not get yep. too complacent. You know, and that's something we talked about the other night, Harvin is, you know, and 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 you know, I told you to ask Trey about this complacency can really hurt you whether it's sports or or whatever it is. Uh you can never get complacent in in uh in certain situations or else it could come back to haunt you. And for at Auburn, it, 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 that's exactly what happened. They got complacent with that lead. And even after the fake punt, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll be fine. We can we can still move on from it. Uh, it's only 21 to 10. We got this, you know, going into the half. And before you knew it, they were in a dogfight, and there was no way they could get out of it. So um, Auburn just got too complacent, and, you know, I'm sure they'll learn their lesson going into next uh, next you know next season. Well, Trey, I, I think I think Auburn gained a lot of respect nationally. You know, a lot of people talked about well, they were lucky to beat Georgia, the fluke play against Alabama, Florida State, a wipe. The longer that it went on from the end of the season to the game, the line went up to about ten and a half. I think a lot of the media was saying that Auburn would get blown out. How much respect do you think? that Auburn earned nationally, but how much respect did they earn in your eyes, actually? Well, for me, Tarvin, it was never lost. I mean, so I went into that game, and I, I think I told you that I, I just thought the line was ridiculously stupid. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I tried to get my friend in Vegas to bet the line on me because I really I thought there was no way the line was going to be 
that high. I thought it was going to be an absolute dogfight of a game. And I actually thought that the game was going to go very similar uh, to, to some other games that Winston had that were big games where Florida State struggled early, and I thought Walburn would go up, um, just sort of like the Boston College game where they went down, I think, 14-3. to I, I, I sort of saw, saw that play out. Um, and, I, and now 21-3, to I absolutely did not think it was going to go there. But, um, you know, so I, I was not surprised. And, you know, Auburn, I thought they were going to play very well, Tarvin. I, I, it didn't surprise me at all. Who was the best player on the field? Trey, in your opinion, the other night? Was it Winston or Trey Mason? Well, I, I think it was Winston. Uh, the way he overcame adversity showed us a lot. Uh, Mason uh, certainly um, was phenomenal and is a phenomenal running back. We'll have to see how he translates in the NFL. He left early for Auburn as well. Uh, but 34 carries, 195 yards, Tarvin, and the long being that touchdown run, you really got to kick your hat to what he was able to do for Auburn. If only he would have tripped at the 15-yard line, Cuervo, and took some time off the clock, we could at least go into overtime and possibly scored later. But who do you think was the best player between the two for the entire season, Winston or Mason? Um, well, you know, that, that's that's another good question. Um, I would have to say, oh, boy. I mean, I, I mean, only because I really feel that he showed up a little bit more in the big games. I give, I give a, and this is the slightest of edges. I give a very, very slight edge to Trey Mason again because, because of the way he showed up against Alabama, because of the way he showed up against Missouri in the SEC championship game, and you know, the way he played, even in the national championship game. Those three games, uh, you know, had they lost either to Alabama or Missouri, you. I mean, none of the blame could go to to Mason because of how well he played. So, uh, not that Winston doesn't mean anything to his team. I just think that when you compare performances in the big games, I think you get. I think I give a slight edge to Mason. Well, before we move off to this topic, Trey, you know Jimbo Fisher got his first national championship. Congratulations to him. He's a class act. I mean, a, a great person, not only just a great coach, but a great person. How did, where does he go from here? Because Saban even said it before, it's always, it's easy to get that first championship, but how do you keep focus at Florida State? How do you build off that success? Because sometimes these coaches have, have trouble, you know, getting these kids back down to play football again. Next year they go in as a marked team, the number one team. How does Jimbo handle his team next year? Well, I mean, complacency is going to be a huge thing. And coming off, you know, for Winston, I mean, let's be honest, there hasn't been a player like Jameis Winston. I mean, you, maybe Tim Tebow was the last guy. Um, you're talking about a guy who won the Heisman. He wins a national championship in his first year playing football, really, because he was registered the year before. Um, you know, how does he overcome not being not being complacent? What else is there for him to do? And that's going to be the big thing that, that obviously that uh, Jimbo's going to have to do is make sure his Heisman-winning quarterback comes out just as hungry. Because if he doesn't, Tarvin, I mean, Florida State has a very difficult schedule next year. I mean, you look at their schedule. I mean, they they close the season this year with a win, but they open the season next next year uh, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, in Jerry World, against a team in Oklahoma State who looks pretty darn good this year. 
uh, top 15 or so, I think, what they finished. But, I mean, they opened the season, Tarvin, with Oklahoma State. They play Notre Dame next year. Um, we don't know what Notre Dame is going to look like with their quarterback back from into, into their, you know, their program. They got Florida, of course, Louisville's in their schedule next year. You know, I mean, Clemson. I mean, so they're going to be a marked team playing teams that can beat them. So we'll have to see. You're, you're absolutely right. But the one good thing is this is Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship before as an offensive coordinator, so maybe he can build off that. Well, in closing for Auburn, I'm going to say that, that this was probably the most special season that I've ever had in my 37 years of being an Auburn fan. I know we lost two games. I know we lost the championship. But if you could only know as a true fan how broken your team was at 3-9, and 0-8 oh in the SEC last year, to hire Gus Malzahn back, guys, and make it to beat Alabama the way you beat them, undefeated number one, to beat Georgia on that miracle play, just to, to beat some of these teams that nobody said you could, to go to A&M and win that football game uh, in Cuervo. They went to Tennessee, and, and I think that's when it started clicking for them when they went to Tennessee and actually found out that Nick Marshall could run. But a 12-2 and Auburn team that fell three points short in the national championship it was more special to me than 2010 when they won the championship. I mean, this was it's just a different feel. Because, guys, how long does it take to, to build an 0-8 conference record to a national championship? It takes four or five years sometimes if you're even going to have a chance. But I think Gus Malzahn is one of those coaches that's going to get hungrier and hungrier, and he's going to send this message to the team. You tasted being almost being the best. You were almost there, and I think he's going to use that to fuel his team. And Cuervo, tell me if I'm wrong about that. I think Gus Malzahn, if he could come back next year and, and play for that championship again, he could be one of the top coaches in the country. Well, I mean, I think with the turnaround that he, that he uh, you know, had with, with, with a program like Auburn, I think you have to consider him already one of the top coaches. I mean, to go from a three-win team to a to a twelve-win team, I mean that's not something that happens every year. So, no. um, but I think you know if if I'm trying if I'm thinking uh, that I that I'm understanding what you're saying, Tarvin. I think what what it is that you like about this year's team compared to uh, the Cam Newton team was you didn't have that player that had the national spotlight constantly. So it was kind of like Auburn was flying under the radar, even though they were a top team yep. in the nation. Not a lot of people were talking about them. All the talk was about Florida State because of Jameis Winston. All the talk was about Ohio State because of Urban Meyer and Braxton Miller. Then you had, uh, you had um, Alabama, of course. So, I mean, Auburn, was they were there. However, they weren't really getting a whole lot of attention. And I think, you know, when the spotlight is not on you, yet you're, you know, you're still uh, winning football games and, and climbing up the poles, I think it makes it that much sweeter just because it's, it's something that you really don't, you know, nobody really expects you to do. So yeah. I don't know, I don't know if that's what you think it is, but, I mean, if I'm an Auburn fan, that's the way I'm looking at it is, hey, we did it, and we didn't need a superstar, uh, you know, a yeah. superstar to get where we are. That's perfect, Cuervo. And, you know, Trey, you know as well in 2010, oh, if Auburn didn't have Cam Newton, they wouldn't be as good. Cam Newton, Cam Newton. And then this year, 
this was one team that played together. Sure, they had weaknesses on defense, but you know what? They came together. They made plays when they had to. And I'm going to tell you guys right now on this show that next year Nick Marshall is going to be a Heisman candidate. I mean, give him a whole year to learn this offense. And, and trust me, Malzahn used about 30% of his offense this year because it's hard to come three weeks, four weeks before the start of the season, get on campus and learn an offense and gel with the team. I mean, Nick Marshall, his mental toughness that he's shown this entire year has been unbelievable. Sure, he may, he misses some wide-open throws. He, he's a little rough around the edges, but the guy can run the zone read, and he's a leader. If you notice in that huddle, he was a leader, and this next year is going to be special. So, guys, it was a great college football year, and Trey, we, I mean, the, the, the host and the co-host of this show – played in the national championship game. I mean, that was pretty special. So, Cuervo, I hope your Tennessee balls get better and you can get back to greatness like they once were because it feels good, man, when you come from three and nine or a team that's not even relevant, be it, especially, guys, when Alabama was at the top. Auburn didn't do this when Alabama was a six and six team. Auburn did this when Alabama was at the top of their game. So, they played for two national championships in three years. That's unbelievable. And so I'll take it, and we'll move on to next year and see. But, but Trey, before we go off college football, give us your dark horse team in 2014 that could that could pull a Florida State or an Auburn on us. Well, I'll tell you, I already have my dark horse in the SEC East, and that's about as far as I've gotten. And, and honestly, Cuervo, I mean, I, this is this is no, you know, I'm no. Uh, you know, because you're on the show, I think Tennessee has a legitimate shot to win the SEC East next year. Uh, they're my dark horse right now. I got to see how they, you know, how they finish recruiting and how their guys develop in spring. If I'm gonna actually pick them square row, but I like what I see right now. Uh, I think they have an ability to, to make that jump. We've seen the SEC make those jumps before. I like them, Tarvin, in the in the East right now. Uh, if I have to pick a, a really crazy dark horse, Tarvin, it, it's really going to be I think UCLA out west. Uh, yeah, they were good this year, Tarvin, but I mean this was a team that. I don't think people expect to to be back there next year, even with Hunley uh, back. So I think UCLA may have make a jump next year and make that Final Four as well. Um, but that's about that's about as far as I've gotten, Harvey. Cuervo, I know I know Trey made you feel good. Who's your dark horse team maybe coming in next year? Nobody's talking about. Uh, you know, I would love to just you know just go with you know Tennessee and, and pick my <laughs> my team. But I, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll look in another direction. Um, you know, I guess I'll, I'm interested in seeing how Charlie Strong can turn Texas around. Um, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go 12-0 next year, but I think, you know, what did they go six and six? I think, or or seven and five, something like that. Like I think eight and four. They went eight and four. So I mean, I mean, even for Texas, that's that's you know, not very good. I mean, it's good, um, but I mean, they can they could be a ten. I mean, you never know. Texas could be a ten win team. So, um, just based on the fact that Texas probably will barely crack the top twenty five in reality, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested in seeing what uh, you know what Charlie Strong can do with this Texas program. Yeah, that's a good pick. That's a that's a real good good team to pick there, Trey. Well, it's been great in college football. We're gonna have about twenty more minutes, so let's talk some NFL. We can talk a lot of NFL in twenty three minutes, guys. And 
And let's start with with the playoff games from yesterday, Trey. Seattle at home. They didn't look impressive to me. Neither did New Orleans. Seattle pulled it off 23-15. to 15. I made a statement yesterday that I want you to talk about. I said Russell Wilson is very overrated. And if you look at Seattle, to me, he's a game manager of this team. The defense plays well at home. I'm not very impressed with anything else on this team. So, Argue with me a minute, Trey. Russell Wilson, is he overrated? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure how he's overrated. I mean, the guy is, um, you know, what, number one quarterback in the first two years for uh, wins. I mean, that's pretty impressive, Tarvin. I mean, game manager. I mean, he's a game changer, I think, Tarvin. <laughs> he makes plays that a lot of guys don't make. Um, he's still rough around the edges, too. I mean, but, I mean, Tarvin, tell me, I mean, yeah, he's got a great running back and defense, but, I mean, he makes plays that I mean, Trent Dilfer didn't make when he was, you know, a game manager. Yeah, but Cuervo, you tell me. I mean, let's, let's look at his stats yesterday at home, 9 of 18. And though he's not playing the San Francisco 49ers, the Carolina Panthers, 9 of 18, 103 yards. And I don't know, man. Is Russell Wilson overrated? I'm saying yes. I think this team is stacked, and and he's the beneficiary right now of playing on a great football team. What do you think? Well, well, Tarvin, when when you know when when you talk about Russell Wilson being overrated, I think the first question you got to ask is where do you rate Russell Wilson? I mean, is he is he a is he a you know top tier quarterback? Is he second tier with guys like? Uh, you know, I guess you could throw in who uh, maybe Rivers or Kaepernick or Cam Newton, uh, or is he a tier below that with guys like Jay Cutler and Eli Manning? Like, where do you rate him? And what? once you okay. once you determine once you determine that, then I think you could really, you know, say that he's overrated or not. But I mean, I, I don't think he's overrated just because I don't really hear anybody talk about well he's a top 10 quarterback or he's he's top five quarterback I don't I don't think there's anybody out there unless you're a, a you know a big time Seattle homer that anybody really considers him a top you know quarterback in the NFL so um and I just think yesterday was just a prime example really of the running game was working well for the Seahawks so of course I mean the numbers aren't going to be that great for Russell Wilson so I don't think he's. I don't think he's overrated. Um, I don't think he's underrated. I mean, I think he's. You know, he gets his fair share of, of uh, you know, criticism. That's well, that, you, you brought up a good point. I, I'll agree with that. Like, what I'm saying is, with with him being overrated, guys, is every time you hear Seattle mentioned, that's all they talk about, really, to me. They they don't talk about that defense. They talk about Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. And Trey brought up a good point. Yeah, he's the winningest quarterback in his first two years. But let's put him on on Carolina. Just say when Cam came out, where is he now? Let's put him on New England, and, and let's see where New England is with Russell Wilson. And maybe overrated is a bad word, but but all I was meaning is every time you hear Seattle mentioned. That's all you hear is Russell Wilson. And maybe that's just because the quarterback position is is unique. I'm not saying the guy's terrible or anything. I'm just saying he gets way too much love, Trey, 
for the success of Seattle. And when I look at Seattle, it's coaching, it's defense, and it's that home field, really. So I, I just think he gets too much credit. That's what I meant. Well, I mean, I guess I disagree in the fact that he does too much credit. I think he gets the same amount of credit that, that Colin Kaepernick gets with, you know, a good defensive team uh, that, you know, that your boy Cam Newton got for playing on a team with great, a great defense. I mean, so, I mean, of the second-year quarterbacks, Tarman, and I'm not ranking him in the top five quarterbacks, I think he is the best second-year quarterback uh, that the NFL has right now, and that's including, you know, uh, Andrew Luck and that kind of stuff. I think he is right there with Andrew Luck, if not the best. He's right there equal to Andrew Luck uh, and above the other guys. I think he's that Whoa. good, Tarman. But... Whoa. He's equal with Andrew Luck, in your opinion? That's what I'm saying, buddy. Okay. Well, you you looked at Cam, what he did with a – you know, Cam was the first overall pick on a terrible, terrible Carolina team, and he put up the best numbers for the first two years of a quarterback in the history of the game. And, and you saw this year with a great defense, they kind of toned him down a little bit. And they, they didn't make him try to win football games. They relied on running the football, um, third and shorts, and the defense. Uh, Cuervo, but I, I can't put Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson in the same category. I I think Andrew Luck is the best of the third, you know, the third year quarterbacks. Like second year, Russell Wilson. I, I do rank Russell Wilson ahead of Kaepernick, Cuervo. I, I will give Trey that. Um, well, that's even hard for me to say. I think, I mean, I think Kaepernick can, you know, down the line really make some, you know, make some special things happen. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, Andrew Luck, I mean, that you can't you can't argue that. There's no way you're putting him ahead of, or putting RG3 ahead of him. There's no way you're putting <laughs> Russell Wilson ahead of him. Uh, there's no way you're putting Kaepernick ahead of him. So, uh, I think when you're looking at, uh, you know, the guys from two years ago, that that's Luck's the guy. So, um Compared to Cam Newton, though, would I, who would I take, Russell Wilson or Cam Newton? Well, I'll take Cam. You know, I think he's got the better size. He's got the better arm. So, you know, I just I think what people like so much about Russell Wilson is just his ability to make plays, extend plays, and, um, you know, turn, turn nothing into something. You know, kind of like Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. So I mean that's well, I think that's what people like about Russell Wilson, and he, he's not going to wow you with the numbers, guys. Uh, but when you when you when you watch him play, that's what people are impressed with. Well, I think Russell Wilson in the next couple of years, Trey, I think he will be a top five quarterback. I was just speaking for now, like just right now, what he's doing. The guy's smarter. Probably is not as smart as Andrew Luck. I mean, he's a baseball player, professional baseball player, for God's sake. He is talented. And maybe it is trade that Seattle doesn't give him a chance to to lose games for him. When you have a defense like Seattle, you don't have to make plays at quarterback, really. You just have to not get them beat. So that was a good point, guys, y'all brought up. See, that's why I love this show. We all can have different opinions and, and still be okay. We're not cussing, screaming, threatening each other. That's what I like about it. Well, let's – Let's move on to the next game, Trey. The New England Patriots 43, the Indianapolis Colts 22. And honestly, I wasn't surprised at the score of this game. What I was surprised in was the way New England was able 
to run the football and the way, you know, you see Tom Brady, you see him in the years past, it's throw, throw, throw. But now they have Blunt, this this monster in the backfield. Is New England a contender? Can they beat Denver next week, Trey? Because I was very impressed with this New England team last night. Well, I mean, yes, they can beat Denver, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, the rushing performance that we saw last week, I think, is not going to be, uh, you know, past past performance will not indicate future uh, you know, future performance in this regard. I think that was that was something that you know will not be matched next year, next week against Denver. Uh, I don't think Blunt is the kind of guy who's now all of a sudden, you know, in his you know resurgence of his career. Uh, he's a talented running back, but you know he has been in the past, but he's never been you know the overall best guy out there. So I think he had a great game, Tarvin. I think it's a, a team that has been a little susceptible to the run this year, and I think Belichick had a good game plan. Well, Cuervo, how how important was that game for Luck last night? He had 331, two touchdowns, but he threw four picks. How much is he going to use this in the offseason to get better going into his third year? Because I think it's, it's games like this that quarterbacks look back on and say, this is what made me and fueled me to be the great quarterback. I think Andrew Luck, like you said before, in the next few years is going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. But I think this game was very important to him. And I'm not beating him up on the four interceptions. I think he's going to learn from it and fuel him into a great career. Well, I mean, it, it reminds you of the, you know, the guy that Andrew Luck replaced when he was early in his career. I mean, you look, you look at some of the early games in Peyton Manning's postseason career, uh, when he had some bad games, and he did. You know, everybody remembers the good things about Peyton, but in his first couple of playoff games, they were they, – they, a couple of them were ugly, okay? I mean, he threw interceptions and things like that, and, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just the natural growing pain that each quarterback goes through, um, well, most quarterbacks go through, and, and you, you learn from it. You know, you, you, you look back and you say – well, I probably shouldn't have rushed uh, this throw, and you just pick you pick the tape apart, and you just learn from it. And Andrew Luck is smart, guys. He's a smart guy. And the thing about Andrew Luck too is, um, unlike Andy Dalton, he he moves on from mistakes, and he doesn't beat himself up, and he gets better as the game goes along. And that's the unique thing about Andrew Luck, and that's why I say. He's, you know, three years from now when, when Peyton is getting ready to call it a career, when Tom Brady's getting ready to call it a career, um, he's going to be the best. He's going to be better than Rodgers. He's going to be better than what Drew Brees uh, is, is going to be two, three years from now. Um, and, and as much as everyone's in love with Kaepernick and Wilson and Cam Newton and, and, and uh, RG3 and all these other guys, well, Andrew Luck is going to prove, guys, that you know to win to win in the NFL, you still have to be able to make throws, and you can't just you can't just wow people with your legs all the time because defenses catch on to that stuff. And you know the, the 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 pocket passer will continue to rule the NFL now that we have a guy like Andrew Luck, who's you know like I said, going to be the guy in in a couple of years. Yeah, the New England Patriots went out last night at home and, and not terrible weather, but 
But I think they made a point. And, guys, this was a Patriots team that I thought would make the playoffs, but they'd probably lose early. But I can see New England going on the road to Denver and, and pulling out a win. The defense is playing good. They're protecting the football. Brady's not uh, getting beat up. He only threw it like 25 times last night, Trey, which that amazes me. But I don't know, this blunt guy. So you don't think, Trey, that he's going to be a, a, a back for the future really right now in the to win the AFC championship and make, make the Super Bowl and possibly win that? Or are you just saying he's a one-hit wonder really? Well, I mean, remember this guy was decent with Tampa Bay a couple of years ago. I don't think he's all that talented is what I'm saying. He's a one-hit wonder. I don't think you're going to see um, this kind of game. I mean, you still have Steven Ridley on this team, who I think is probably a better back, but has had some issues, and Belichick has sort of wanted to bench him. So, I mean, now, so Blunt may be the guy going forward this year, Tarvin. I'm just saying don't, don't be, you know, looking at your fantasy drafts next year for, for Blunt. I mean, he may be the guy who gets the load this year, uh, you know, in the playoffs if they keep, they keep progressing, but I don't. I don't see a whole lot past this. All right. Well, the Carolina Panthers guys. I think they lost their first game at home today. They ended up the season twelve and four, seven and one in home record. And I'll start with you, Trey, on this game. I, I was surprised that that Carolina didn't come to play football more. It seemed to me like they wanted to jaw more than they wanted to play football. They come in. I guess is is that the reason? Is that a reason because of just being inexperienced, really, and not used to being here? Because Cuervo said it this morning, San Francisco was going to win the football game because they've been there and done that. And how big was that being Cam Newton's first start in the playoffs? I think he did good. I think Cam Newton played well, but the team seemed to to want to jaw more than they wanted to play ball, Trey. Well, I mean, and that that shows, I think that's, that's who the, the Carolina Panthers are, and that's who Cam Newton is. I mean, they seem to like to celebrate at times when they, you know, should be focusing on the game plan. I mean, they don't have a lot of veteran leadership on that team other than Steve Smith on the offensive side. They're very talented defensively. But I thought Cam Newton made a lot of mistakes in that game. Tarvin, he threw a couple of picks. I mean, that was not good. He played okay. Um, but this I was think, certainly not the performance that Cam Newton needed. Well, I mean, you look at his numbers. Let's look at Cam. He threw one pick that went off his receiver's hand. He was 16 of 25, which is respectable. 267. He had a touchdown pass. He was sacked five times. That's one thing that hurt. And Cuervo, am I wrong to say? And maybe I'm looking at it through Carolina glasses here. I thought Cam Newton played a good game, and I, I think he played well enough for them to win. I just think the problem was they couldn't get San Francisco off the field at times, and the penalties killed them in the first half. They should have been up by two touchdowns at halftime. You know, they, they should have, Carvin. And at the same time, though, you know, Carolina was lucky. I wouldn't say lucky, but they were very fortunate that, uh, you know, at, at one point going into the half, actually, that it wasn't, you know, 21 to 10 or 17 to 10. It was only 13 to 10. Um, I, think, I think Carolina was very fortunate that they held them the field goals the first couple of drives that San Francisco had. And, you're right. You know, I know earlier I was I was uh, trying to get under your skin, but it's all in good fun, Tarvin. No, I thought Cam did fine. You know, I, I don't. I, you know, I I said he was going to struggle in the first quarter. I thought he was going to be off the mark just because of just because of nerves. I mean, it, you know, first playoff game in the NFL, it's always a big deal. I don't care who you are, you know. And uh, I, I really thought that Cam was going to be off the mark, but he made me eat my words real quick. 
and he looked he looked sharp. He looked really good. Uh, that touchdown, which by the way, uh, Trace to let you know, Tarvin called it. That first touchdown to Steve Smith, he said Cam's going deep. You know, you snap your fingers and there goes Cam. He's letting the ball go, and and he went deep to Steve Smith. So uh, that was a very good throw. And I you know I thought, like I said, I thought Cam played well. Um, but you know, my my big thing going into the game this morning, and you can go back and listen to our show on the Couch Potato, was going to be third downs. Third down conversions was going to be the key because that's how Carolina won, you know, in the regular season meeting. They they held San Francisco. I think the number was two out of 15 third downs. So that Carolina defense came to play that day. They only let them convert two third downs, and it kept it kept the 49ers off the field. It kept their defense uh, on the field. So. Um, I think, but I think in this game, you know, the roles were reversed, and that's what you saw. Um, and Frank Gore, I mean, Frank Gore gashed him when it mattered most, guys. I mean, he had he had a couple of big runs, and I mean, just the the Panthers just didn't have an answer for it. And you know, Tarvin, for for the Panthers, man, it's you know, it's just the growing pains that teams go through. Like I said, they're going to be there next year. They're going to be right back into into the fight uh, of of the NFC crown. Right there with Seattle, San Francisco. The Panthers aren't going anywhere, guys. This team's going to only get better. Yeah, and if you, if you put the weapons that Colin Kaepernick had, Trey, with Cam Newton, I mean, nobody would stop this team. The problem is you got a, a 55-year-old receiver that's injured in Steve Smith, and then you have nobody else on the team to throw the ball to. If, if I look at a weakness of Carolina – the defense is good. The secondary needs a little help, just a little bit. But it's the receivers, trait. I mean, who's he going to throw the ball to besides the tight end? That's all. He, that's the leading receiver was Greg Olson on this team, and for the year, and that's saying a lot when you have a tight end leading the team and catch. Whoa! I think Trey's on mute, but Cuervo. I mean, look at the receivers for Carolina. I mean, they don't have any. Steve Smith's an old guy that's way out of his prime, in my opinion, and they have nobody else to throw the ball to. I mean, give him a couple of receivers, and then let's see how he does. But that's a lot of a lot to put on Cam Newton. You have no weapons around him, and he has to create the things. Even with his legs, he has to create. Right. I mean, even, even one of those receivers, uh, Tarver, I mean, as a Panther fan, take your pick. Which one do you want? Do you want Anquan Bolden? Do you want Michael Crabtree? Uh, you know which one? Which one would you prefer? <laughs> I mean, cause it doesn't the, matter. Just you know, one of them. So bold and on that exactly. team to see what happened today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you give you give Cam a playmaking wide receiver. Actually, I think that's a whole lot more from having uh, Anquan Bolden over Crabtree, just because. I mean, you know, Bolden's played in two Super Bowls. He won one last year with the Ravens, so. That's the kind of guy you want on your team, you know, a receiver that's been there, done that. And, I mean, we saw him run his mouth a little bit, but let's let's be honest. For the most part, Anquan Bolden is a pretty quiet guy uh, throughout his career. Yeah, and you know when, when my dog Wells today took his Cam Newton jersey off and started eating it in the third quarter, I knew it was going to oh, be a bad geez. I knew it was a bad sign for my Panthers square bow, but but you does know he really I mean, have overall, a Cam Newton jersey. Yeah, he does. 
But, you know, you, you look at this team, you have to be very proud. 12-4, and four, um, I think that was a regular season. They ended up 12-5. and five. Very successful season. And it shows that, that you if you draft right. And, and I think Carolina's done a great job of drafting. But now it's time. You have to keep that up. But you have to go get some of the studs out there receiver. And there's a lot of good receivers in this draft, Cuervo. And, and do you think that – is that where Carolina goes first in their first round? Do you think they go get a big playmaker like maybe Sammy Watkins? I think I think Cam, Cam Newton would love nothing more than to have uh, Cam or Sammy Watkins on his team. I don't think Cam would love anything more than that. Now the question is, are the Panthers going to be willing to trade up to get Watkins? Because there's no way, unless <laughs> unless these general managers have just forgotten who this kid is, I don't think there's any way he's still going to be available at 26, 27, whatever, wherever Carolina is going to be in the draft. So they're going to have to trade into the top, oh, I don't know, I'd say top 10, top 12, to get Sammy Watkins. Now, if the Panthers are willing to do that, then, you know, just like, I mean, we saw a prime example, you know, three years ago, when, as a matter of fact, it was the same year that Cam went number one, when the Atlanta Falcons went up and they got Julio Jones. So it's possible, you know, just the Panthers have to be aggressive enough and be willing to make a move like that. And, and I'm telling you right now, I don't know the GM's name of the Carolina Panthers, but if it was me, I'm doing that. I'm doing it because – you see the potential that this football team has. They showed it. I mean, who really thought the Panthers were going to go 12-4 and four and have a bye week this year? Let's be honest. Who really thought well, that? I, I, mean, I, I had them pick third. Maybe, I had them pick third in the division, actually, I think. So did I. I, I matter of fact, Sonny, we all picked them to go third in the division. And But you see what they did. They, they, have, they are ahead of schedule, so to speak. And – my God, I really hope they don't make the ultimate stupid move and fire Ron Rivera. That 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 would set that team back so far if they did that. But, I mean, if I'm the GM, you look at this team, Tarvin, and you say, wow, we are ahead of schedule, guys. We weren't supposed to be this good yet, but look where we are. We got to go mm-hmm. up there. We got to get Cam somebody he can throw the football to. So I think it's a no-brainer. They have to trade up in the draft, which is in May now, by the way, just to let everybody know, and they have to get Sammy Watkins. I think it's a no-brainer. Well, and and you said something about firing Rivera. I I think he's a good head coach. I I really do. He's a a classy uh, coach, and I said something today about firing him, but really the person that needs to be fired, and, and I've said it for two years, Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator. I, I know people, I don't know, it must be his dad's friends on TV sometimes talking about what a great job he's done. But maybe he has. But I look at him, I think his play calling is is high school level, honestly. When I watch him do play calling, he's he's just not that good. And I, I don't know what you think. Trey, are you back? Yeah, I'm here. I got the kid, though, so you might hear some stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Shula's okay, Tarvin. I mean, I honestly think, you know, he's working with um, not a whole lot to work with there in Carolina. I think, you know, Brandon LaFell is probably the best they have at receiver outside of, you know, the old Smith boy. 
Let me throw this at you, Tarvin. I mean, I don't think there's anybody you get Sammy Watkins because you don't you don't have the, the, the trade pieces to trade up unless the, unless you're going to give up, you know, your entire draft for the next couple of years, a la you know Washington, and we see how that turns out. But um, Tarvin, let me ask you this: late in the first round, a six-six wide receiver from Florida State who caught the wider the championship pass, redshirt sophomore, still on the board. Do you take him early as a guy who can run up and grab the ball down for him? Well, of course. Yeah, why not? You got you have to you have to get great players, but you also have to meet your needs in drafts. And like Cuervo said, trade up if you can to get your guy. If not, go get that person because you can't go wrong with a six six receiver, guys. I'm just saying, Cam Newton gets two more weapons on that offense, and the defense stays together. I don't think they can keep everybody. I think Hardy's going. Then you're gonna then you're gonna have something to build on. But if you can't score. You can't win, and San Francisco made Carolina look foolish, and they did. And I don't, I don't think San Francisco is a team that should make you look that foolish. Yeah, I think they're the best team right now in the NFC, but they're not that much better than Carolina. I think Carolina will win that game. And and guys, let's move on real quick before we get out of here. The Denver Broncos today stunned the world, Cuervo. I know you picked the Chargers today, and uh, it was closer than I thought. Twenty-four to seventeen. Is it just me? Cuervo, or is this Denver team just not that good? Well, you know, Tarvin, I mean, there are a lot of concerns. I mean, first of all, they're just not running the ball very – I mean, they're running the ball okay, but, boy, oh, boy, they they have to, you know, make more room for Noshan Marino to, to really be effective. He's just not effective. I mean – he runs the ball in goal line situations, and that's great. I just don't – I just – I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you what, though. The defense came – they came to play today. That's what won the game for this for this uh, Broncos team today is the defense showed up. Now, they let off the gas in the fourth quarter, obviously. They gave up 17 points. But, you know, before that, they shut out – you know, they shut out a San Diego Charger team that steamrolled a good Bengals defense just a week ago, and, I mean, I mean, if you're a Broncos fan, I mean, it looks good offensively. However, you know, you go from a guy like Phillip Rivers, now you have to go up against, uh, you, know, the, you know, Tom Brady. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, doesn't get any, it doesn't get any tougher than that. So um, do I think Denver's overrated? No, I don't think they're overrated. Um, however, are they – as good as people try to make them out to be, no, I don't. I don't think they are. So I mean, they have, they have a lot of they have a lot of uh, concerns, but you know, Peyton, a guy like Peyton Manning can can really cover a lot of those blemishes up. Well, Trey, you're San Diego and you go on the road, and all you do is rush for 65 yards. I mean, that's not going to cut it on the road. And I think in the playoffs. You know, going into this game, I thought San Diego had to run the football like they have in weeks past to have a chance to win. And at the end of the day, they didn't. They got shut down in the running game, and I think that's why Denver controlled the majority of this game. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, San Diego, I guess a couple of points, Harvin. I do agree with you, but San Diego defensively has had uh, Peyton Manning's number. I mean, the defensive coordinator for San Diego has done a very good job of controlling Peyton Manning. So, I mean, that's one. I think Peyton Manning 
uh, played through a tough. Somebody who has his number and he played well enough to to win. And to be honest, I think the game wasn't as close as, it, as it, the score turned out to be. But uh, you know, Tarvin. So I think that's number one. I don't. I don't think this game should tell you anything about what's going to happen uh, versus New England next week. If that gives you an idea. Okay. Well, I mean, next week's games, guys. We and honestly, these are probably the best four teams in the NFL. We have the Patriots, Broncos. We have the Seahawks and Niners. And Cuervo, just to touch on this before we go, real quick. Give me a percentage, a chance that San Francisco has to go to Seattle and win a game where they got destroyed the last time they win. I don't know if you've heard, but Seattle's not selling tickets to anybody in California, so I don't know how they're going to get a ticket to this game. It's going to be tough for San Francisco to play on the road three weeks in a row and come away with a win. It is, and I mean – as good of a rivalry as this is between the, the 49ers and the Seahawks, you know, the, the the I forgot the name of the stadium now up in Seattle, but that place has not treated the 49ers well at all. You know, the past two seasons, Seattle has blown them out in reality. And I don't know the combined score or anything like that, but, um, you know, San Francisco, just it, they look like a totally different team when they go to Seattle for some reason. Uh, they just don't play well. They don't score a lot of points. Colin Kaepernick barely has time to, to get the ball off. You know, he's always he always he's got defenders in his face constantly. So Seattle's not a friendly place for Kaepernick and the 49ers. So uh, I'm going to still give it a 50% chance, Tarvin. I'm not going to you know sit there and try to crunch numbers and say, well, they have a they have a 32%. <laughs> it's 50-50. Either either it happens or it doesn't. So I'm just going to keep it simple. But um, in my opinion, how strong is that 50%? Not very strong. Well, Trey, I'll go ahead and tell you, Seattle's a three-point favorite at home against San Francisco, which is lower than I thought. And Denver is a five-point favorite over New England. So in your opinion, Trey, who has the best chance to go on the road and win, New England or Seattle? Tarvin or San Francisco? Um, yeah, no, I, I think the best chance this year, Tarvin, is going to be San Francisco just because I think New England, um, I, I still I still think New England has too many too many issues. Uh, obviously, I think Denver, you know, losing some of the players they've lost in the second half has hurt them, Tarvin. But I still think offensively that they still are a matchup nightmare for New England, even with Belichick and his scheming. Uh, that doesn't mean they can't win. I think the better the better chance is the 49ers. Well, I, I'm going to be pulling for Seattle, guys. To be to be honest with you, after watching San Francisco today get away with robbery, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Seattle Seahawks because they seem like a, a clean cut team to me more than San Francisco. I would hate to see these bunch of clowns make the Super Bowl after the way they've been acting the last couple of weeks, Cuervo. And maybe I'm a little butt hurt, maybe, after them beating my Carolina Panthers. What do you think? Well, I think, well, you, maybe. I think you are picking, you know, by a little with a little bit of heart there, Tarvin, but that's okay because, um, I, I mean, Seattle was my pick at the beginning of the season to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, I, I really don't see much different. Um, but to answer your question, I think I think I go the other way. Uh, you know, compared to what Trey was saying, I think New England has a good chance of going into Denver and 
beating the the you know, the, the Broncos. I just think that um, you know the, 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 like I said, I mean, can the defense play the way they the way they play today? Can they do it again? And I think that's that's what Brady is going to try to test is the defense of that of that Broncos team. As in, you know, hey, you know, let's see if you can do it again. Um, And I think if New England wins this game, guys, you know, all the talk about Kaepernick and all these quarterbacks, how much do we talk about how incredible of a job Tom Brady's doing with guys like Julian Edelman and a a guy like Danny Danny Amendola that you should just stamp, you know, fragile on his forehead because you know if he takes a, a, a wrong hit the guy the guy's hurt and he's out for three weeks or he's out for a whole month uh guys like Kembro Tompkins and and I don't even know who their tight end is anymore I mean for for Brady to do what he's doing with a lot of these no-name receivers or guys that are constantly in and out of the lineup to me, if he makes the Super Bowl, I think it's one of the better performances uh, that we've seen in a long time that, for whatever reason, nobody's really talking about. Yeah. It's, I mean, the bottom line is, guys, it's going to be two great matchups. And Wednesday night show, we're going to preview both of these games in depth. Hopefully we can get Couch to join us. on. He's on in the chat room now. Hopefully we can get him on to help preview these games. And we're going to start talking recruiting. I mean, February, guys, college football recruiting. So we've got less than a month to get get all this analyzed and, and which teams are going to finish where, which players are going to go where. We're going to talk a little college basketball. I mean, we're never going to stop talking college football, guys. That's just the bottom line. But but it's all about the NFL right now and recruiting. So, guys, I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. Trey, great job co-hosting as always. Cuervo, thank you so much for calling in. And we're going to be on Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and we're going to hit it running. And we've been out a few weeks. We just want to welcome everybody back. Thanks for – if you missed the show, we apologize. We had a lot going on. So, guys, thank you again, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great week, and we have a lot of football to talk Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Take care, guys.